All right, all right, C12, how you doing? Yeah, yeah? All right, grab a seat, grab a seat. Grab a seat. What the heck? This is like a serious situation here. Gotta be like a doctor to work that. Okay. I'm gonna do this. I don't wanna mess this up. Megan, is this? All right. We're in a new series. Did y'all come ready and expectant? Okay, you're gonna need to take notes. So if you don't like to take notes, take them anyway. Um, and if you love to take notes, well, this is going to be a good night for you. So grab your notes and pen in front of you. Um, just a couple of things I want to uh, preemptively say before we jump into this series. Uh, first of all, tonight you're going to get a lot, a lot of scripture. All right? Like, like a lot. Um, So what I would love for you to do as we go through it is just for you to write references down and things like that so that later on you can go back through and kind of marinate and sit in some of the scriptures that we're just going to sort of fly through tonight. Um, The second thing I want to say is this, because I know we have a lot of new people in here, and it's been actually a really long time since I've said this, but I feel like I need to say it because it's important. I preach better when you respond. I like a talkback crowd, and I'm not snotty, snide, sarcasm, but like, you know, talkback crowd. So... So what that means is here at C12, like if something resonates with you, you know, like you can, you can be vocal about that. Um, you know, we, we like that in here. You can see that in worship. We like that in here during teaching. We're just, you know, we kind of like to be laid back. So if you're new here and you're wondering what kind of place this is, I like a talk back crowd. Can you all do that? Okay. All right. Um, paper tigers. The word paper tiger is a real phrase. It's not a phrase we made up. We didn't just grab two words and put them together. It's a real thing. A paper tiger is something that looks powerful on the outside, but is weak on the inside. So let me tell you where the phrase came from. It started in China quite some time ago when the Chinese emperor would refer to other countries that that he viewed as enemies or that he viewed as opposition and he would tell the people not to be concerned with them because they're just paper tigers. They seem powerful, but don't worry because we're more powerful and they're weak on the inside. So it's a real term. This is a series that was birthed in my heart years ago, and I've sort of been saving and cultivating over time, and so I'm excited to bring it to you today because this will be a series on things that seem really, really powerful to you. They will seem really overwhelming to you. There are things in your lives that seem stronger and better, bigger, But if we get closer to them and upon further examination, you will find they're actually quite powerless and they're actually quite weak. But paper tigers, when ignored, become something, something we call strongholds. So tonight I'm going to set the stage for the rest of the series. We're going to lay some groundwork. We're going to sort of put some pillars in and then build on top of those as we go. Tonight, I want to give you a definition and an understanding of what strongholds are. Really, they're paper tigers left unattended. 
It's not because they necessarily gain more strength, but it's because we adjust our life to them. We see this thing that seems powerful, and rather than address it directly, we walk around it. And we sort of maneuver our life to accommodate it, thereby adding more power and strength to it. Stronghold. A stronghold also is a very, very real word. The definition is a defensive structure or a fortress. It's meant to keep whatever's inside away from what's on the outside. A stronghold, a fortress, is supposed to guard whatever it holds. It usually has thick walls and tall gates. Now, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul uses the word stronghold. And I want to take you to this passage, which will be a foundational passage in this series, 2 Corinthians, verse 10, 3 through 5. Now, understand that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And Corinth was a town that while the church had been established, Corinth had some serious strongholds. In fact, one of the things Corinth was known for was sexual immorality. In the temples and in the pagan places of worship, not in the temple of God, but in the temple of all their other false gods. I mean, prostitution was used as a form of worship. Corinth had very serious strongholds. And so Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. He's writing them to say, hey, in the midst of all of this, there are some things I want you to know. 2 Corinthians or chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. He says, for though we live in the world... We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul is saying... We demolish every word, every act, every argument, every piece of reason, every piece of logic, every action that would present itself in opposition to God. We demolish those strongholds. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. So he's saying to the church, understand who your enemy is. We don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't wage war the way they do in the world. We wage war in the supernatural realm. Strongholds, when something is fenced in within you with walls around it. Some of you have things inside of your spirits and your souls and your bodies, honestly, where there's a, there are, there's a fortress built around it. And it's like a paper tiger that lives within you that feels so powerful. And it feels like something that you can't possibly defeat. In fact, there are some of you that say things like, well, this is just who I am. This is what I've always been. There are things that are part of your life that were part of your parents' life or a friend's life. And it's just sort of been transferred to you. And you just think it's a cycle that you'll never break out of. It's a stronghold. It's as if the devil is standing on the top of the thick walls in your soul and he's saying, this is something that can never be defeated. This is something that I've won in your life. And because it looks like a tiger has the stripes, you go, oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. It's when a temper 
suddenly starts to become explosive anger. It moves from sin to stronghold. It's when peer pressure becomes more than just saying a yes or a no to one circumstance, and it becomes a lifestyle of saying yes and yes and yes and people-pleasing. It's when sort of a season of worry becomes crippling anxiety that you cannot shed or be rid of. It's when an insecurity that sort of becomes a thorn in your flesh all of a sudden takes over and makes you want to hide. It's when a lack of discipline or maybe just some some poor self-discipline decisions actually turn into a character flaw of laziness and then it becomes a stronghold of apathy. It's when disappointment in how something turned out turns into anger, turns into bitterness, turns into resentment, and it's a stronghold. It's when regret, something you did, something you said, something you saw, and you regret that it ever happened or that you ever said it. And rather than understand that it's all covered by the blood of Jesus and he forgives and he sets free, but rather than believe that, just as you heard declared up here, rather than really believe that he loves you the way that you are, that, uh, that sin and that moment turns into a deep set shame. And it just covers you. Strongholds, when a bad choice becomes a bad habit, becomes an addiction. Bad financial choices becomes overspending, becomes debt you can't get out of. It's relationship hopping, overeating, undereating, eating disorders. It's fear of the future. Do you know that simply the future can be a stronghold in your life? Where something that was meant to be a destiny that God has called you into and just wondering what decisions do I need to make? What does my future need to look like? Will I be single? Will I get married? Where do I go to school? Should my major be? Should I take the job? Should I not take the job? All of these things, what should be simple and normal questions, all of a sudden become crippling and you, you can't even think about the future. The entire future seems like a huge paper tiger, so overwhelming. Paper tigers can get a stronghold on you, but do you know what the most often command in the Bible is? Literally, Genesis to Revelation, the thing that God says to do the most, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Say that with me, ready? Do not be afraid. Look at your neighbor and go, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is the kindness. This is the kindness of God. It is the kindness of God from Genesis to Revelation to say, do you know what? I know you so well because I made you and I know that fear is going to become crippling to you and I know that strongholds are going to take over your life. And so I'm going to make sure in the word that I have delivered to you that the thing you read the most is do not be afraid. Do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. What appears so strong has no power over you. The devil has convinced you that there are just some things you will deal with forever. The devil has convinced you that there is someone you love and they will just deal with those things forever. They'll never be free. They'll never be saved. And you believe it. 
Now, you might not vocalize it, and maybe in your head you know it to be different, but in your heart, in your heart, you don't believe. And I get it. I really, really get it. But you know what I also get? I get that the time for breakthrough has come, C12. That's what I get. I get that the time for breakthrough has come, men and women. And do you know why I know breakthrough has come and breakthrough is possible? Because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. This is the underpinning, the truth of our entire church, 12 Stone. We literally exist because of Jesus. It is because of Jesus. And we say that. And doesn't it sound like a grand church thing to say? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus, right? And we even golf clap it. Yeah. Yeah, because of Jesus. Yes. Woo. We do. But you can't see him. Most of you have never heard his voice. And you believe it in your head, but it has not made it to your heart. And you wish it would. You're so, de- you're so desperate for it to get there. You want to want it to get there. You want it to be more than a phrase. You want it to be what you see in other people. When you see other people say, because of Jesus, and it's so genuine, and it seems to just flow out of them, and you think, that's, yes. And you imitate it really well. When I say breakthrough is coming, what I mean is not just breaking free from the strongholds, but stepping into the reality of that truth that Jesus is more than a name and a figurehead and a word in a worship song or a Bible story. That he is the one that is the entire reason we exist. That he is the one that has set us all free if we would just walk in it. Because of Jesus, we have words in scripture that say no weapon formed against us will prosper. No weapon formed against us will prosper. And the greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. See, I I can come at these things that seem so powerful. And there are things in my life that seem so powerful and so big and get me so discouraged. But then there's these verses, and we're going to talk about this later, about what it means to declare truth and to pray God's word so that when you come up against those things and they seem like there's breathing down your neck, you can say, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Even Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Even Jesus looked at Peter, Peter, who began the church. We wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the apostle Peter. And Jesus looked at him and said, get behind me, Satan. Not because it was Peter, but because Peter was hearing the lies of the devil and Jesus recognized it. And you, you can be as shrewd and as sharp and as discerning as that. Proverbs 21, 22 says this. Write, this, write that uh, down. Keep that up for me. Write the uh, passage down, Proverbs 21, 22. This would be a good one to memorize. This would be a good one to write on like a poster, to write on a card, or to take like a marker and, or a dry erase and put it on your mirror or to put it somewhere. 
One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty. Notice it says, not, you're not going up against the city of the weak, right? You're going up against the city of the mighty. And what will you be able to do if you are wise? Pull down the stronghold in which they trust. This is a fascinating verse. If you're wise, you can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which you trust. See, you trust strongholds. If you didn't trust them, they wouldn't be strongholds. If you didn't trust that they were more powerful than you and they were more powerful than freedom and they were more powerful than what the Holy Spirit could do in you, then you would, they wouldn't be, they wouldn't be there. They're there because you trust that they're powerful. Because you believe in them. One who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down the stronghold in which they trust. So I want to take you to a story in scripture today. I want to take you to one of my favorite books of the Bible, Joshua. I love the book of Joshua. If you've never read the book of Joshua, you really, really should. I mean, literally from chapter one through the end, it's just battle, 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 win, 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 like march, march, march. It is just an astounding story of God and his people and this man, this leader, Joshua. And we're going to talk about a story that might be somewhat familiar to you about the walls of Jericho. So I'm going to read portions of it to you, and I'm going to tell portions of it to you, and I'm going to sort of break a little bit down in between. So let's give it a go. Joshua chapter 6, verse 1. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred. Securely. Now, this is the Israelites, so these are about 2 million people being led by a man named Joshua. Moses has gone to heaven. They've just come through the Jordan River that was parted. We've talked about that. Jordan River is parted. They walk through on dry ground, and here they stand, and they are in front of Jericho, and there's the, the doors are securely barred because of the Israelites, because these people in Jericho just saw a dang river at flood stage part, so you better believe when all the Israelites show up at Jericho, they're like, bar the doors right? We don't, want, we don't want them in here. I don't know who their God is, but he does some crazy stuff. We don't want them in here. So the, the gates are barred because the Israelites are out there. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. This is so fascinating. Have the walls fallen yet? No. Is the enemy still there? Yes. Are they aware of the Israelites? Absolutely. And what does God say? He says, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. It's done. Victory is yours. I don't know what Joshua thought. I don't know if Joshua thought, well, yeah, it is. Did you see that whole river thing? I don't know if that's what he thought. I'm, I don't know if the Israelites were like, uh, not yet. Are we going to have to fight these guys? These, the Israelites had not ever been in a battle, people. They've been wandering around in the desert for like a generation. They, they don't know how to be soldiers. They don't know how to do anything like that. They know how to walk. That's what they know how to do. Walk and eat and like be just traveling nomads. This is what they know how to do. And here they are at Jericho. And it says, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with this king and fighting man. So he basically he's saying to Joshua, you are not going to do this battle from a place of defeat. You're going to do this battle from a place of victory. You're already going to come at this from victory. I need to give you a very core understanding, and I need you to write this down. Like, 
this is, this is one of the pillars of this series. The devil has already lost. He has already lost. The devil is the great deceiver. He's such a deceiver, he himself is deceived. We know he has lost, yet he roams around believing he hasn't. And we believe him. See, from the outside looking in, nothing about the Jericho situation looked good. Nothing about it. In fact, Joshua had sent spies ahead of time to go scout out Jericho to go check it out and see what it looked like. And the spies came back and went, we should not do this. They said, okay, these people, Joshua, they called them giants. These people are huge. We, we cannot do this. He sent 12 people. Two of them said that they could. The rest of them said, we can't. Nope, nope, not gonna happen. We can't do this. They were already in fear. From the outside looking in, it did not look good. This cannot be done. But God made the promise of victory before the victory. And then he gives these instructions to Joshua. Verse 3, march around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. Now remember the ark of the covenant symbolizes God's presence. So God's presence is with them. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straighten. I think I just said that with a British accent. I don't know if that's how God said it. Everyone straight away. Um, goes in. So they march. They do this. Day one, they march. Well, people blowing on the ram's horns, marching around, right? Imagine the people inside looking outside. This is, what are they doing? Uh, day two, same deal. Day three, same deal. Now, I wonder if on day three, since they'd spent three days in preparation for the Jordan River to part, I wonder if at Jericho, if after day three, everybody's like, wait, something's going to happen. The walls are going to fall. Surely this is what God does. He does it on day three. But no, no. Then day four, and then day five. And I wonder if by day five, the enemy went, these people, nothing's going to happen. Nothing's going to happen. I wonder if they went about their daily business. Every day for six days, the Jordan took three, but Jericho is a different kind of battle. There are some things in life you win quick, and there are some things in life you win long. There are some things in life that defeat you quickly and there are some things in life that wear on you over the years and take you down little by little. The Jordan River was a quick victory. Jericho was far longer. Seven days, an entire week. Don't you know that when you're in the middle of battle, seven days feels like a long time. One night can feel like a long time, can't it? Seven and what's fascinating about this to me is that they would do that and then they would go back to camp. And if it was me, I'm not sleeping. I just went and like blew a bunch of horns at the enemy. 
And then we go back to camp. We've basically made our presence known. They know where we are. We've become annoying. They know God gave us victory over here. They know we're coming after them to defeat them. Why are we just doing this and going back, doing this and going back, doing this and going back on the full view of our enemy? But Jericho was just a paper tiger. We have no power over the enemy. But God has power over all. And if like the verse in 2 Corinthians, we would shift our thinking and we would renew our mind and we would live according to the truth that while we may be no match for the tigers that come at us, no tiger is a threat to Jesus. On the seventh day, verse 15, On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest shouted the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed, and so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. To declare the victory now, let the enemy hear you shout. See, I wonder if it would be different if we declared victory ahead of time. If we proactively declared victory. If when we prayed about things, we actually thanked God for the victory ahead of time. If we went into prayer without fear, if we went into prayer with expectation. If we went into difficult situations from a position of victory rather than victim. How many Christians do I see all the time walking around like they're victims? Literally with their heads down as if they are so utterly defeated when like we have said earlier, the devil has already lost. How do you win the spiritual battle and defeat the strongholds? I don't want to just give you a lot of like postulating about what that looks like. I want to give you some very practical things on what it looks like to battle. On what it looks like to supernaturally battle. Because that's what we're in. The best thing a Christian can do is recognize that the reality you see around in in this room is not all of the reality that exists. It is just not. For whatever you see, there is so much you don't see. I promise you, there are forces in the supernatural realm, both good and evil, very much present in this place and all around this church. There is a spiritual battle that is occurring over the natural because the natural was created and belongs to God. And the enemy would like to keep whatever he can of it. See, the devil used to be an angel in heaven whose pride got so big that he wanted to be God himself. And God's not gonna have that in heaven. Heaven, you can't have a holy God with unholy. You can't have sin in heaven. And so the devil, which was once the lead worship leader in heaven, if you can imagine. He was the worship leader, called beautiful, was 
tossed out of heaven along with the third of the angels, and thus hell exists. It's a very common teaching some places for even pastors and teachers to tell you there is no such thing as hell. There is. Not because God isn't loving. In fact, it is because God loves and because God loves us so much that we get to choose. It's not forced love, it's a choice. And there is very much a spiritual battle that takes place over every one of our lives. I'm not quite sure who you could be and not look back at your life and go, oh, I can look back and I can see how the devil was fighting for me. I can look back over my life and I can take you to moment after moment after moment that he gave his very best attempt to take me out. I don't mean like a physical death. I just mean where I would go, God, I'm out. You are not for me. I am not for you. There is very much a battle over your life. So how do you win the battle? How do you live in freedom and not fear? Because it isn't anything to be afraid of. So let's go to another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus book called Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 18. Remember, I said I was going to give you a lot of scripture. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, and there's so much in this passage, y'all. I'm going to breeze through this thing. I just, there's so much. You're going to need to take it and go sit in it, okay? Verse 10, finally, he says what? Be what? Strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not each other. It's not the person who's wronged you. It's not the obstacle in front of you. It is not, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I should stop. Does that make anybody nervous? Does it make you nervous? I don't know. I'm going to, you know, I'm saying everyone, there's a hell and there's angels and there's demons and on and on and on. I wonder if anybody's like, holy crap. Like, let's just sing another worship song. <laughs> let's just do that. That feels amazing. This does not feel encouraging. And can you even feel fearful? It can even feel like, oh no, how in the world can I go up against that? Here is how. Verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not if the day of evil comes, when the day, when the day, y'all, if y'all ever never had a bad old day, <laughs> I don't know, we should talk, give me your secret, I don't understand it, like, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith 
which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I love this, this shield of faith. Faith extinguishes the arrows. When the devil comes after you and the arrows come for you that are flaming, it is your faith. It is your belief. It's believing in what you cannot see. It is trusting in the God that you can't see in front of you, but that resides inside of you, the Holy Spirit. You raise that shield of faith and you say, not today, Satan. That's what the shield of faith is saying. With which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, all of them, not some of them. Or you might get one or two lodged in your shoulder. That's not what it says. The shield of faith so that you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. See, when the arrows come at us from the evil one, you know what goes first? Our faith. Oh, here they come. Here comes the devil. God must not be paying attention. Well, this went wrong and this went wrong and look at all this stuff coming at me. Oh, well, I guess God has forgotten me. I guess I can't depend on him and the shield comes down. And somehow we think that if we can be mad at God and we can put the shield down, we're not gonna get hurt as much. Meanwhile, all the arrows keep coming. Take the helmet of salvation. Guys, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, you wear the helmet of salvation. That means you belong to God. Your mind belongs to God. Here's the good news. The devil can never own a Christian. He can never own you. He can never claim you, and he knows it. And you put that helmet of salvation on. You wake up every day going, I am saved by the blood of Jesus. My mind belongs to him. My being belongs to him. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. If only, if only, if only Christians knew that your Bible is a sword. If only we believed that. If only we did not simply lean back. Okay, I'm gonna say something here and then I'm gonna need to like explain it. So I'm going to say it, and then don't get all like, whoa, what did she say? Okay, here. We lean back into worship music and community and how it makes us feel. And then if we have time, well, I should read God's word. Let me explain something to you. What did Jesus use? It's so great, Sierra. I'm so glad you brought up the temptation in the desert. The devil came after the son of God. The devil came, he is so deceived, he thought God would go with him. And what was Jesus' weapon? The scriptures. The devil said, turn that stone into bread. Jesus quotes and says, man does not live by bread alone. He quotes the scriptures. See, when you get into these battles, part of the reason you keep losing is you do not know the word of God. You don't know it. You have to know God's word. This generation, 
This whole Gen Z generation has forsaken the truth of God's word and has said, oh, we like the Bible, but you know, I'm going to remove the book of James because really it talks about my words. I kind of like my words and I don't want to clean them up. So I'm going to remove that part. And then the part where it defines what sexuality is and isn't, where it talks about purity, I don't really know. I really feel like it's about me being happy. So I'm going to pursue happy over holy and I'm just going to remove those sections. And I'm not really convinced that God created the world. And so I don't know what to do with the first six chapters of Genesis and I really believe in evolution and all of the things and all of the things honestly that you're being taught in all of the classes that you're in that make me crazy if you don't know the word of God and you're sitting in a class where a professor proclaims something to you that is so anti-biblical truth how will you know do you know how many students graduate from universities and they forsake their relationship with God because their mind has been so filled with things that are untrue and they have no idea how to correlate it? You can be in it and you can hear it and you can learn it. You need a degree. You got to get paid, y'all. You do. <laughs> get a job. But you have to be able to sift through it. You got to sift through it. And honestly, you know, coming here on Thursday nights, you know, 52, you know, weeks a year and coming on the weekends, there's not enough time to unpack the totality of scripture in that amount of time. There's just not. You have to get into the word. Well, I don't understand it, Heather. Well, don't do anything hard. Really? You still want to do anything hard for the rest of your life? So it might be hard, and then it will get easier. And then you will learn the language of it. Do you do things, do you do other things that are hard? Yes, we do things that are hard all the time. But we don't do that, because it's hard, okay. You got tigers breathing down your neck. You got things inside your soul and your spirit and your body that are just they're defeating you. They're taking you beyond disappointment down to, into deep despair. And it tells you that the Bible is a sword. It can slice and dice. Pick it up. Pick it up. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's how you do battle. I am literally halfway through my notes. Okay. I'm just adjusting. Okay. Let me give you three steps, and I'm not going to fill in a lot between them. And then I'm going to bring this thing to an end. The first thing you have to do is know your enemy. The second thing you have to do is suit up. We just read that passage in Ephesians. You suit up, right? 
get on the full armor of God, know your enemy, which is not each other, which is not the things that go wrong, which is not the obstacles in your life, it's not the person that hurt you, it's not, it's, it's not anything else other than who the enemy actually is, which is the devil. You gotta know your enemy, suit up, armor of God, allows you to be proactive rather than reactive, and the third thing, it says pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people and pray. What is interesting about this, and I was just talking to, I think maybe, because Alex, Alex, our, our very own Alex is going to be preaching next week. And he, yes. And he and I, he and I were just, because we were talking about it, and we were, you know, kind of mapping it out and all those kinds of things. And... Um, we were talking about how really it always boils down to things like this. Sometimes I wonder if we want a different answer to the paper tigers in our life, to the things that try and, and threaten to take us out. If we want a different answer, an easier answer, maybe the next sermon will give me something different and then I will do that and then that it will be what changes it when really it always, always seems to come down to these very same things. Know who your enemy is, get suited up, and pray. It really always boils down to these things. Pray. Um, Ryan, you're in the military. So if you are out on the field and you're with your unit, you're out there, and you lose radio support, you lose an inability to call for help, how does that feel to you? Not awesome, not good. not good? Because what does that mean? It means that you are left with whatever you and who you're with can do, right? You are left to your own devices. You have lost all communication with anyone else that could come in and help you get out of the situation you're in or extract you from whatever battle you're in. This is what prayer does. It is, it's like having a radio to heaven. It is what allows you then to call in reinforcements. It's what allows you to be in the midst of battle, even with the people you love, in the midst of a bunch of tigers looking to take you out. You can be in that and know we're not going down because we know who's coming for us. That's what prayer does. It's knowing your enemy that there's a supernatural battle taking place. It's getting suited up with the armor of God. Some of you need to wake up and read that Ephesians, that Ephesians passage just every day. Just every morning, get up, pull your Bible off of the nightstand, open it up, and suit up every day. Pray that passage. Lord, uh, today I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. I'm putting on the shoes of peace. I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the shield of faith. And you literally pray that prayer. I understand strongholds. I've had things in my life, and I just, I'm up here, and I'm just in my head. I just do not want to talk about this, but I'm going to talk about this. So I'm just having this conversation with the Lord, this entirety of this thing, and I don't want to talk about it, because I don't really know how it's completely ended, but I'm just going to talk about it. Um, so I've had this thing that I would call I would call it a stronghold. I don't know that it started as a stronghold. I don't know that it started out as something that kept me in chains. I just think um, it was something that I battled, uh, but 
I would routinely, not routinely, but maybe every once in a while, feel like I could find relief from. Um, it really started back in college. And because part of my story growing up has a lot to do with um, abuse. And then after my freshman year in college, um, I was assaulted and it was a very traumatic, very violent event. And once, once I got to the end of that freshman year in college, and I had this whole history of this, there was something that sort of snapped in my mind, if you will. And by that, I mean, I just, every once in a while, I would plummet down into a very dark and deep depression. And then sometimes, because I have a driven personality, and uh, just kind of a get up and do it kind of person, I could sort of pull myself up by my bootstraps, right? And go about life and get it done. And then a few minutes later, all of a sudden, I would find myself really unable to get out of bed and unable to go about life and unable to, you know, have conversations. I remember being in my dorm room. It would have been my junior year of college, and I was sort of in hiding in my dorm room, and the door was locked, and the lights were out, and you would see when somebody's lights were out, because there was this, like, window at the top of the door, and one of my very best friends um, came knocking on my door, and um, she's like, I know you're in there. Let me in. And she comes into my room, and my room was just trash. I mean, I hadn't cleaned anything up in a very long time. There's plates and cups and um, clothes. I mean, I was just, and I was literally sitting on the floor, leaned up against my dresser, just like, just numb. And my friend came into my room, and she just started to clean my room for me. She's like, I know you can't do this. I, I understand this, and I love you, so I'm going to do this for you. And I had this, somehow God gifted me with these friends in this community that would come alongside me throughout these years. But I battled this um, off and on up until recently. This is why I don't know that I really want to talk about this, because I feel like I'm still negotiating this out with the Lord, you know, um, because hard things didn't stop after that. You know, I, Jeff and I got married. Our marriage was a wreck for the first two years. Almost divorced. Lots of trauma. My dad. There's just all kinds. My, you know, my mom. Just all kinds of things in life that were just very, very hard. And again, periodically, I'd find myself in a very, very dark place. But I would never tell anyone. And I would always show up for the things I had to show up for in order to be able to keep it hidden so people wouldn't really know because I would fulfill the minimal obligations and I was talented enough and good enough that I could do it and nobody really knew, unless you were really close to me. And then uh, a few years ago, I was having a conversation with someone that cares about me deeply, and they said, Heather, have you ever considered um, medication for depression and anxiety? And I said, no. And actually what I said to them was, I'm fine. Because do you know what I'd come to believe a few years ago? That what I was experiencing was totally normal. I'd been in it so long, I actually thought 
there was nothing that could ever exist outside of that reality. In fact, I remember saying to a mentor of mine, look, I get it. Jesus is, you know, all about joy and he's all about peace. I get it. And I'm so glad that people have it. But my choices in my life, in my decisions, I just kind of feel like I'll never know that kind of joy this side of heaven. That I'll get to heaven someday and I'll get to have it. But this side of heaven, I'm just sort of like doing this thing and getting through. So have you ever considered medication? Uh, no. Um, and I went to see a counselor, and a counselor said, Heather, we want to give you a survey, like this test that sort of assesses the level of your depression. And I took the test, and because I am the way that I am, I tried to play the test. And I was like, I'm going to intentionally score myself light, right? Like, it's going to ask me questions, and I'm going to, on the scale, like, score myself as not really being as severe to these things as it says. So then the, they come back to me, and they said, Heather, the highest score possible is a 40. You scored a 39. <laughs> we should talk about medication. So I did. I started taking medication for depression and anxiety. And about a month in, I felt like an entirely different person. In fact, we did a... Um, panel on uh, mental illness. Some of you were there. Do you remember that? And I think I probably talked about that, like that I was taking medication, and I was, for this thing. And, and I felt great. And it really, way over the hurdle. Like I got way over the hurdle, and I was like, this is this thing in my life, and this is how God is choosing to help me in this life, and I have joy now, and all of these things. And God does use those things. 100%. God used that in my life. He uses it in my husband's life. And I have friends that he uses that in their lives. But I found I'd resigned myself to it, and I found that PK called for that church prayer night. Remember that? September 15th. And said, um, Heather, I want you to be one of the staff members that comes and prays with people. Great. I'm going to go pray with people. I prayed over lots of people that night for big, big things. I've prayed over a lot of you in here for really big things. And I've seen God answer a lot of big prayers. I don't want to talk about this. I've not talked about this. So, um, I was praying and I felt very prompted by the Holy Spirit for me to go be prayed for. if God would do that for me 
And I had this thought. I don't know. I think God always asked me to do the hard things. I don't know that God would ever let me what I thought was an easy way out. And someone said to me, Heather, you've been battling this for 25 years. It doesn't seem like an easy way out. I did not go ask for prayer. I know, that's where you thought this was going. And I left and I was like, okay, great. It's fine. I actually feel good. I'm going to feel great. I mean, I wasn't, I haven't battled it. I've been not battling. God had gifted me with um, the doctor that was helping me. wasn't really struggling. So um, then uh, on staff, 12 Stone, um, PK calls a bunch of his staff, a few of us leaders together. And he's like, I want the leaders, these leaders to come together for a prayer time. And we go to this prayer time, and he's like, I feel like some of you would like to be prayed over. What the crap? <laughs> what the crap? So I'm like, I don't, no, no. Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't do the whole thing. All these people get prayed over. It's a really, really powerful thing, y'all. Um, and finally, at the end, one of my friends on staff comes up and puts her hand on my back and goes, Go. And I looked at her and I pushed her and I said, no, <laughs> don't push me. I know y'all thought I was so holy and spiritual. This is me. This is me. So um, I, um, I do. I go, fine, I'm going to do this. I tell people all the time to listen to Jesus. I should listen to Jesus. So I did. I went and... Um, there was a leader there, and, I, and they prayed over me, and they anointed me. And got up the next day. Well, they, they prayed over me and anointed me, and I stood back, and I stepped back from them. And I looked at this person, and I go, oh, am I supposed to believe it now? Again, I'm a little testy. I go, am I supposed to believe this now? And they, and they said, well, you should, because God just healed you. And I went, yeah, all right. And I got up the next day and I took my medication. And I took it for two weeks. And I've never felt so bad in my life. Never felt so bad in my life. Unable to think straight. I felt the way I did before I used to take it. So a few days ago, I thought, all right, all right. <laughs> Let's play a game. And I stopped taking it. And I, I texted our pastor, Kevin, and I said, I think I'm 51 yards down the field thinking that God healed me. I'm more than 49. I think I'm 51. And I, I know I'm crying. I know, but I feel great. 
Y'all are like, you should take it. Like you should take, no. Here, but, okay, here's what I want to say to you. Please listen to me. Please listen to me. Please, please, please. I'm not telling you that because I want those of you in this room that are receiving help from all manner of sources to go, well, I don't need that help and I shouldn't do that anymore. That's not what I'm saying to you. Please don't hear that. The doctor and the medication was actually a gift in my life. It was a gift in my life. And God used it so mightily. So please, please don't hear that. Please only hear that there are things in your life that have become definitions of you. That become things that you think, this is just who I am. And this will always be. And you're even like, and that's okay. And that's okay that I struggle with that. And, and it's, it's just something that in this life, this side of heaven, I will battle. And someday I'll get to heaven and I won't battle it anymore. Because I love Jesus and I know I'm going to heaven. And so many of you are in that space. And I just need you to hear me say they are nothing but a paper tiger. They seem so powerful and they are so powerless because our God is all powerful. He has, he manifested creation. He breathed life into dust and man came to be. He created woman out of a rib. He created dark and light and sun and moon. All of the nerve endings in our body and all of the systems that make us who we are in humanity. He gifts us with these talents and abilities that so far surpass our human understanding. And then he died for us. And then he gifted us with the Holy Spirit that we could live in power. He is so powerful. Whatever is overpowering you, I believe, I know that he will overpower it. Hey, band, why don't you come? I don't. This is the first time in all of my ministry years that I've worked with this age. I've worked mostly 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, like older. When they come and they're so deeply broken and so far down the road of strongholds. I was telling the volunteers tonight in our prayer time, here's what I believe about this moment. And sometimes I'm not sure all the time how I got here, what God's doing. But today I had this thought. Like, what if, what if God brought you and I together so that I could tell you that you get to, at this age, in this season, decide 
that these things are not going to become strongholds because this is the fork in the road. This is the age. This is the fork. This is the fork where either you go, I'm going to suit up and I'm going to pray. I'm going to put on the full armor of God and I'm going to believe in God's kindness. And I'm going to be defined by who he says he is and not by any of these things and not by any of these errors and not by any of these strongholds and not by any of these chains. I'm going to be defined by who God says that I is and these things will not overpower me. I will fight from a position of victory and not defeat. I will no longer enter this life with my head down. I will hold my head up because I'm not fighting against flesh and blood. And I wonder if we're together in this moment so that I can tell you, I've seen what happens. I've seen what happens in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s. I've seen it. I've seen it get real ugly for people. And you get to make a decision that it doesn't have to. You get to decide, I'm gonna give my life to Jesus. You get to decide, I'm gonna live by the power of the Holy Spirit. You get to decide, I'm gonna look at the Bible like my sword and I am going to ingest it. I'm going to devour it. I'm going to make it a part of my soul and my spirit. You get to decide that now, now. Would you bow your heads with me? I'd like for you to just sit with the Lord and I'd like you to ask the Lord if there are any strongholds in your life. I'd like you to ask him that. I think a lot of you already know, you already know the thing that you think you literally cannot get victory over. You just cannot. Or you you think that you've defeated it for a really short season and then it comes back again and then you try and win against it and then it comes back again. What is the tiger that's breathing down your neck and you just won't get close enough to it, suited up in the armor of God to see that there's nothing to it? It's a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the enemy. The blood of Jesus, the blood drained out of his body, he bled to death. And the Bible says that when he died, we died with him our sins, our strongholds, the lies of the enemy he took down to hell and left them there. And then he came back up from the grave. And the Bible says, when he did that, so did we. That where we were dead in our sin, we get to be alive in Jesus Christ. That is why we say because of Jesus, because victory is possible, life is possible, not just life, but full life. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. Have it to the full, this side of heaven. There will be troubles, there will be struggles, but you can have victory.
if you would be so bold as to say, Heather, there's a stronghold in my life. There's this thing that's keeping me chained. If you would be so bold in this moment, you don't have to say what it is. I want you to stand up. I want you to just look at me. Everybody's head is bowed. I just want you to stand up and look at me. If you're standing, I want you to hold out your hands like this and I want you to bow your head. Lord, I confess to you that I don't even feel adequate in this moment, but Lord, I just so deeply believe you wanna set some people free. Jesus, would you see this posture of hands open as an openness to you to do your work in them? Holy Spirit, would you come through like a mighty wind? Would you come through like a fire? Would you come through like a rushing river? cleansing and renewing and warming, breathing on these things. Father, where addiction exists in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we, we just declare victory. In the name of Jesus, we just say that addiction would be no more and those chains would be broken and that people would be freed up. Lord, the generational cycles that exist of these things that have been passed down from generation to generation of shame and guilt and fear and anxiety and worry and stress and pressure. Lord, that these things that just keep handing, getting handed down and handed down and handed down, that in the name of Jesus, those, those cycles and those curses would be broken. Jesus, for those that are standing and they find their value in relationships and they find their value in other people and their heart is so deeply wounded because their heart has been so hurt by other people and so they think they have no value. Jesus, would you remind them that you see them and that you love them and they're your child and you would go after them. You would go after them if everyone else you would leave everyone else to go after them. You will leave the 99 to go after the one. They, you love them so much, you would have died for just them. No other person can give them value. No other person can complete them. No other person can give them victory. Jesus, for the shame that exists in, in these lives, for the abortions that have occurred, for the sexual impurity that has occurred, 
for the gossip that has occurred, for the apathy that has occurred, for the laziness that has occurred, for the quitting, for the running, for the hiding, for the anger, for the bitterness. We beg, we beg your healing. Jesus, your healing, your healing, your healing, your healing, your healing, Jesus, over, over every one of these. Jesus, for those in the room that have never given their lives to you, they've never surrendered their life, they've never said yes to you. I pray that right now they would do just that. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you do that right now. You simply just tell him, I need you. Ask his forgiveness for the life that you have lived to commit the rest of your life to him right now in this moment. You just tell him and he will forgive you and he will wipe your sins away. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, he will wipe them away. They will be no more. For the strongholds of anxiety and worry and mental illness, of abuse and trauma. Of rejection and abandonment. Loneliness. The seeking out of emotionalism. The leaning back into the, to the milk drinking instead of the meat eating of the scriptures. Holy Spirit, fill every single one of these men and women with your presence new and afresh, holy and full. From the top of their head to their tips of their toes, Lord, I pray they leave here freer than when they came freer than when they came. And for those who they've marched around the wall three times and they don't think they could do it a fourth, Father, give them the strength. And for those that have marched around it six times and they don't think they can do it again, Lord, today's the day they're gonna get up and they're gonna march around it again. And Father, for some of those, they're marching around it. It's that seventh day and they're on the fifth lap and they're like, I cannot do it. I don't wanna do it anymore. I have tried to do this. I have done this before. I am tired of doing this. God must be disappointed with me for the amount of times I have tried to do this. Jesus, would you just let them know in their souls that you are not disappointed with them. You are the father looking across the field for the prodigal son where there's no shame and you throw on the robe. It doesn't matter if it's six times, seven times, eight times, 20 times. It doesn't matter as long as there is a final time. Have your way in this place, Jesus. Have your way in this, in your kindness, God. In your kindness, would you give them gifts, the gift of the fulfillment of their longing. And then for all of us, may we yield. May we surrender and yield to his will. No matter what tomorrow looks like, no matter what the battle is, 
whether he heals today, whether he heals tomorrow, whether he heals in heaven, however it works, you'll keep walking the wall. Amen. of him.
to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness tore through the shadow of my soul. The work is finished. The So true tonight.
this place that Jesus is still breaking chains. That not even death, not even the grave, not even your biggest sin, your biggest shame can hold him back. He's moving in this place. So have him move in your heart. Have him break the chains. Have him release what's been holding you captive. Jesus, come and break the chains in this place. Come on, can we just praise God one more time?